London, on the 23rd of June, 1902, was a city of carnival excitement. Patriotic streamers of red, white and blue fluttered from posts, roofs and balconies. Fresh paint glowed on signboards over taverns and shops, and tiers of seats lined the route where the royal procession was to pass. Every colony and outpost of empire had been allotted its separate stand, each appropriately and competitively decorated. That of Western Australia, where Jerry had booked seats for his brother and sister well in advance, flaunted banners resplendent with black swans and golden nuggets. The state of Western Australia was so well represented in London at that time that MP, walking the Strand on his return from Ireland, recorded having seen as many familiar faces as he might have expected to encounter in St George's Terrace, Perth. Most of them were present that night, along with MP and his brother, at the state's coronation dinner, a grand occasion at which the Honourable Henry Lefroy, then Agent-General for Western Australia, was seated between Sir John Forrest and the Anglican Bishop C.O.L. Riley, who played a leading part in the affairs of the young state. MP found himself seated beside Winthrop Hackett, MLC, who since 1887 had been the able and influential editor of the West Australian, and Sir Edward Whittenoom, with both of whom he engaged in a spirited conversation about the future of the goldfields. Riding next day atop a bus to the city, the brothers remarked on excited crowds gathered around billboards and scrambling for papers at the newsstands, while paper boys shrilled from every corner, Celebrations put off! Coronation postponed! People gazed at each other in amazement, some shrugging it off as a hoax, a stunt to sell the papers. Further bills and special editions, however, revealed that the king had been taken ill and was to undergo surgery. An official publication of the St James Gazette dispelled any lingering doubts. The royal show was off until further notice. Seat holders began scrambling for a return of their money, and the crowds that had thronged the festival city drifted despondently away. But for MP, the coronation had been no more than an item on his considerable itinerary. Much as he had enjoyed his sojourn in Ireland, it is clear that he found England more stimulating. He thrilled to the sights and sounds of London, to its shops, theatres and clubs, its countless centres of fame and fable, its cathedrals, museums, galleries, to the Crystal Palace, the Hippodrome, Earl's Court in Kensington, to Buckingham Palace, Whitechapel, Petticoat Lane, the Tower, Big Ben and the Houses of Parliament, to its toffs, its cockneys and its street vendors. Calculating that this might possibly be his only trip abroad, though certainly not if he could help it, he was determined to fit in as much as possible. Almost every night he attended concerts and theatres. He saw Forbes Robertson and Gertrude Elliott in Hamlet, Sir Henry Irving and Ellen Terry in The Merchant of Venice, Seymour Hicks and Ellaline Terrace in Bluebell, Mary Moore and Sir Charles Wyndham at the Garrick and Nellie Melba at Covent Garden. Often, as I watch, he records, my thoughts wander back to East Kimberley, where in the solitude of the bush I have so often longed for the chance to see these great figures of the stage. At Brompton Oratory, he was much moved by a sermon exhorting the people to pray for and stand by the King of England, and forthrightly rebutting accusations of Catholic disloyalty. The preacher impressed upon his congregation that out of 22,000 soldiers in the Boer War, over 6,000 had been Catholic. His final words MP found particularly memorable. 
May Queen Alexandra continue to shed the luster of her noble trays, and may the wisdom that sitteth at the side of God continue to direct Edward VII, Emperor, in the government of his people. I have done. God save the King. At Cambridge, with his brother, he records having walked in awe the same flagstones as had John Milton, Francis Bacon, Isaac Newton, Oliver Cromwell, the two Pitts, Lord Alfred Tennyson, Lord Byron, Harvey, Macaulay, John Fisher, and a host of others. One is reminded, as one's footsteps echo from the adjacent walls, that it is here Newton was said to have measured the velocity of sound. Jerry, enjoying his life at Cambridge, where he had rooms at Bradwell's Court, revelled in providing his elder brother and sister with inside information about historical sites and personalities.